it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. Now let me ask you, what do Cher, Agatha Christie, Whoopi Goldberg, Benjamin Franklin, Anderson Cooper, and Daniel Radcliffe have in common? They all have learning disabilities. Learning disabilities are a wide variety of learning problems that affect how individuals receive and process information. They can impact students and left unidentified or untreated can negatively impact work, mental health, relationships, all into adulthood. I recently watched a heartwarming and sometimes heart-wrenching documentary about kids who struggle with learning disabilities. It was called, I can't do this, but I can do that. It's a beautiful and honest account of families on a journey who have kids with learning disabilities, and it's told from the perspective of the kids. Let's take a listen. Nobody understood what I was going through. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. We were told that she will never learn to read. They said she's just slow. Can you read the second question? What do we have to do the second? You start thinking, what did I do wrong? I can't help it. I knew my son was hurting a lot, and we just didn't understand him. I felt like I can't do anything. Then I thought maybe I could just change that future. After I went to this new school, everything just turned around for the better. Now I can express myself a lot more, and it feels good. I used to really hate reading. Now I love books. I'm like, okay, I'm not good at handwriting. I can still play guitar. It is motivational. I still have problems with math, but I can do dirt biking. I'll think of something that I've overcome, and that'll help lift me. It's really important for children to have extra help. That's what makes them able to go on to great things. Before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag show, add add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 444-55. Okay, I'm going to get this right. 214-444-5575. I'm trying to multitask here, doing too many things at once. Or if you're live with us on Facebook, thanks for joining us. And you can drop us a question there and we'll do our very best to answer it as quickly as possible. Uh, And without further ado, let's go ahead and let our KidCaster introduce our guest for today. This week, our KidCaster is Lizzie Glover. She's a fifth grade student in Arlington, Texas. Stephanie L. Oteva is a professor of teaching and learning at Southern Methodist University. She received her doctorate in special education from Vanderbilt University. A former special education teacher, her research focuses on early literacy, interventions for students with or at risk disabilities. 
responds to intervention multi-tiered systems of support and on teacher training. Dr. Al Oteba has served as the president of CEC's Division for Learning Disabilities and currently serves on the International Dyslexia Association Executive Board. She is the editor of the Journal of Learning Disabilities and she serves on the review board for many journals in education and psychology. Welcome to School Days, Dr. Al Oteba. <laughs> How sweet. Thank you, Lizzie. How sweet. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to get together since what was it January or before yes, January? I think January. Yes, yeah. but I had a sick kiddo at the very last minute, as sometimes sick uh, as sometimes kids do. So we are glad to finally get this going. Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, Stephanie, tell us what a learning disability is. So the, there's a official federal definitions for learning disabilities, and there's certainly lots of different types of learning disabilities. So generally speaking, uh, there are about eight different types of learning disabilities. So the most common are in basic reading skills or reading fluency. Um, the other six areas include oral expression, uh, listening comprehension, written expression, uh, reading, I mentioned reading comprehension, math calculation, and math problem solving. And so uh, dyslexia can fall under the umbrella of a specific learning disability, or it can be uh, a very specific disorder that relates to how uh, individuals process sounds and and words and letters, um, and they may be able to comprehend. They may be able to comprehend and have good oral comprehension. And sometimes disabilities happen comorbidly. That means you can have more than one type of learning disability, mm -hmm. um, and and, uh, and or you can also have giftedness. You could have. Uh, an attention deficit that can also occur with a specific learning disability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How common are they? Uh, generally, the, the prevalence of, of learning disabilities are around 5 to 10% is estimated nationally. Mm -hmm. It can happen uh, that certain schools have higher prevalences, and that can also depend from state to state and district to district how students are assessed and how they are performing at school. So you might be uh, in one state that has dyslexia laws, another state may, may not have dyslexia laws. And so the type of prevalence of disabilities can vary somewhat from area to area. That's interesting that you would say that there are certain schools sometimes that have uh, or different schools or different areas that have uh, more of a prevalence of it. What are some of the causes? Can there be some like environmental causes um, to learning disabilities and other I things? Yeah, I wasn't meaning necessarily that. I, I meant that differences in how kids are identified oh, okay. or uh, are qualified for services may mm. vary, mm -hmm. and uh, certainly there are d different areas of resources. So sometimes children will be a, a sort of a late emerging child, 
to be identified. And it and it's hard sometimes to rule out whether or not they had adequate early instruction mm-hmm. or or whether um, whether there's a problem. Uh, usually, though, there, at least in, in our state in Texas, there are a series of, of guidelines for identifying children. And um, there's a, a good resource on the um, that I'll share with you later on, on that's a dyslexia handbook that helps schools think about looking for warning signs and um, being involved in child finding and really looking carefully at different um, strengths that students might have as well as some areas of um, problems with skills. Gotcha. But what are the, what are some of the causes of learning disabilities? Um, So learning, if we're thinking specifically about reading, Mm -hmm. um, some of the causes of learning disabilities can be related to challenges children have, as I said, understanding what's called phonological awareness or how sounds and language are represented in in print, um, uh, how sounds work together so that the sounds in dog are d, ah, g, or blending those sounds together. If I were to say, um, uh, ask a child to blend things together, if I was saying, mm, ah, mm, what word am I saying? A child with uh, dyslexia might have a difficult time in the area of blending and segmenting. There are actually some neurological differences that manifest when, so when people, when neuroscientists are doing scans, they can actually see some brain-based differences um, that relate to dyslexia and to specific learning disabilities. So they are a real thing. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't go away, uh, but we certainly can help many, if not all children, learn to read commensurate with, um, with, with their ability, which requires a lot more instruction, a lot more intensive instruction, um, more time and more expert teaching. Yeah. Okay. In the documentary, several of the kids were talking about feeling stupid, which just breaks my heart. Um, One of the students said, even said that she overheard a teacher tell somebody that she was stupid. Um, Is there any correlation between learning disabilities and intellect? No, there isn't. That's that's really a myth. You can have IQ measured across a a range and and have a a learning disability. As I said, you can also be gifted Mm -hmm. and have a learning disability. So I think it's really important for children's um, self-esteem and sense of self-efficacy to help them uh, understand early on that they're not stupid, that they have a learning difference and that there's going to be some challenges, but to develop uh, uh, their social and emotional capacity to have a growth mindset for themselves and to understand they're going to they're realistically going to face some challenges that other people don't, but they're going to have help along the way. She said it, it, it does take a village. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in the, the um, children that are twice exceptional. So you, you mentioned the, the gifted and talented students. I have one, I have a child that's twice exceptional. He has autism and then he also um, 
um, is gifted. So um, mm -hmm. are there um, special things that need to be done? Um, first of all, I guess to identify students that are twice exceptional. And then um, it can be more difficult probably to, um, to help students um, under these circumstances and give them the challenges that they need as gifted students, but then also deal with their disability. How does, how does that work? Yeah, that, that, that can be challenging. And sometimes the, the trail is, is slow to build, right? So you might identify one area of challenge and go through the process of being identified for special education. And then another another layer kind of shows up or manifests that mm -hmm. might require some additional assessments. Um, so when children do qualify for special education, it's important that uh, their family participates with the school to develop an individual education plan in order that all children receive a free appropriate public education. And so the IAP really, or individual education plan should have goals that relate to both areas of, of, uh, of challenge. Mm -hmm. So if it, in the case of your child, there should be areas for enrichment that might involve some, also some uh, accommodations or some modifications of the curriculum to make sure that it's challenged, um, but also to address some of the uh, aspects uh, related to autism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Tell me what the difference is between a learning problem and a learning disability. The, I think generally speaking in the public, we'll talk about uh, learning problems to, to discuss children that are struggling, uh, that it, it might be unexpected that they're struggling, and they might be at risk. When we use the term learning disability, then we're, we're talking about um, a child that does qualify for, for special education. Um, and so I think in practice, people use the two terms um, synonymously, but right. specifically when we're talking about learning disabilities, uh, it's it's a child that's qualified for services and particularly learning problems can include an intellectual disability whereas learning disabilities are not um an intellectual sort of yeah you, when you were asking before about um iq so a, a child that has an intellectual disability has a has a, a low IQ. Mm -hmm. And so that would be an exclusionary criteria for uh, for learning disability. Right. Yeah. So I would love to know, and again, gosh, I'm going to use myself again, because boy, have we struggled uh, with trying to make sure that we get the, um, the help that our kids need. Um, in certain areas. How do you know if your child is just a slow learner versus having a disability? Like, for instance, um, let me let me just say, I'm sorry to interrupt sure. you. But before mm -hmm. before I go any further, like, um, I, we were told that um, our child had a had specific learning disorder in the area of reading. And then 
I would say two months later, he was reading on grade level. Um, and so we determined he was actually a slow learner. So what's the difference and how do you know the difference? Um, I haven't heard of a child that was, that was given a, a, a definition or was identified as having a specific learning disability that was able to read and develop reading so quickly. So right. Tell me, tell, so tell me a little bit more about how that, how that, how that happened or how that unfolded for your family. Right. Uh, so what happened was um, he was struggling with learning. I mean, st struggling with reading. And for months, I was trying to get him the help that he needed and get him assessed. And mm -hmm. they kind of they didn't go as quickly as I would have liked them to. We started this the, the process probably in November. And then it wasn't until I'd say April that they finally um, decided to assess him. In which case they said, um, actually, we don't have time to assess him. <laughs> we have to wait till the following school year. And so because I I was not OK with that, I advocated for my child. And I said, no, I need you guys to go ahead and go through with this. We've been doing this for a long time and he needs to he needs to get help. And so I in my personal opinion, I think it was a rush to judgment. He was having a problem with reading. And so I think that they just um just kind of put him under this umbrella of specific learning disorder in the area of reading. And then okay. over the summer, I'd say within um, two months, he was reading um, exponentially better than he had been. And so I think that they were just kind of under the gun. And so it's more of a misdiagnosis. I, yes, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause usually when, when a child does have a, a learning disability or in especially in the area of reading or if they have dyslexia that really does uh, continue across the lifespan um, we certainly have a lot of students at university who have specific learning disabilities as, as well so I think your, your son's case sounds like it was probably a misdiagnosis yeah how as a mom how would you or mom or dad or you know caregiver how would you know so you've get, been given by you know the school or a professional or whomever um this diagnosis and um you know i had in my mama gut i didn't feel like that made any sense so what would you say to a parent who's in that same situation where they just feel like there's been a misdiagnosis or something has been missed that I think you would want to be, as you were so strong an advocate for your child at the beginning, I would be going back to the school and asking to have um, another evaluation or, or to, to take a different step uh, so that you would be able to help your child get on the, the path to what they needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've also heard things the other way, right, where a child might be performing well enough to be on grade level and so um, that they're that they're still not performing at at where they could be as an individual and not be served mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so just... I think I think um, understanding and receiving support as a parent to be an advocate is is really important and it sounds like that's a, a real strong value um, that you and your program are very supportive of. That's that's great for parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that just you know knowing your child and um, just paying attention because you know the, the I'm I'm always saying uh, 
schools have a lot going on. They have a lot of kids and we are the closest to our kids. So we um, we, we have a better pulse on what's going on with them. And so to just, you know, kind of trust your gut and keep keep pressing if you feel like um, maybe something has been missed. Yeah, and I also think another resource sometimes that um, some of the families I've worked with have checked in with is with their pediatrician. Mm. Um, and and, and uh, especially if it's a first child and you don't you haven't had a lot of experience yet, about what what the norm might be mm-hmm. um, or or checking in with an advocacy group like checking in with the International Dyslexia Association that has a very active local branch uh, in the in, at least in in Dallas we have an active local branch it's a very active international organization and so if you need to check in with um, someone that's that's been a a, a teacher and that has experience uh, to kind of triangulate your gut and what you're hearing from the school with another uh, another professional source or with a, even with a therapist to kind of check in and, and, and see. I think triangulation is a good piece and to continue to keep looking back at things to make sure that your child is, is um showing progress that's appropriate in light of their circumstances. Yeah. Is it fair to uh, compare your other children <laughs> um, in in that you're saying, you know, okay, at this age, you know, my other child was doing this. Is that is that wrong or right to do? Or It's, it's probably a part of everybody's gut check, right? Uh-huh. And I think uh, a lot of times when moms get together, uh, or at least when moms used to be able to get together before we were socially distancing, <laughs> and maybe they get together via via Facebook or what have you with, with technology, um, and swap stories. I think there sometimes are gender differences that, mm. that that can occur, especially in terms of um, reaching certain developmental milestones or uh, beginning to talk, beginning to walk. And so I, I think um, thinking about a, a broader source of, of what's normal mm-hmm. um, is is challenging. And I think another another source of challenge that uh, we struggle with sometimes is specifically when we're thinking about language, when we have children that are growing up bilingual or multilingual, uh, that can sometimes um, uh, cause hesitation in identifying children. So we have under and over identification sometimes mm. of children with learning disabilities or learning differences. Uh, that's that's certainly a challenge um, in states like Texas or California or Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and do um, just kind of an overview. I mean, each one of these honestly could be its own episode probably. (laughs) Uh, But I'd love to just get kind of a quick overview of um, some of the the major learning disabilities, um, starting with auditory processing disorder. So what are the signs and symptoms of that? Sure, Um, I'm just going to kind of catch up with you right here. Give me just a sec. Mm-hmm. I made a few notes kind of to prep to make sure I'm on the same page with you. Um, so in terms of auditory processing disorder, 
That um, usually is when children have difficulties processing language and they can have problems with communication. So sometimes that can happen after a kid has chronic ear infections or if they're, they were born prematurely. It can also run in families. And there's times that, it can, that an auditory processing disorder can be, um, can be induced when a child has a, a, a brain injury or a head injury. Mm-hmm. So it makes it more difficult for these children to follow directions or to remember spoken instructions or sometimes even to, to understand what's being said. So uh, if you saw soft signs of that and that was, then you would want to have your child evaluated to see if they might have an auditory processing mm-hmm. disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one that I um, struggle to pronounce. Is it dyscalculia or is it dyscalculia? <laughs> Uh, or dyscalculia. Dyscalculia, yeah, neither and, of those. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, uh, that's related to calculations, right? Uh-huh. That's the common root there. That, so it has, it has to do with um, uh, difficulties in the area of math. And the national prevalence of that is about 7%. Uh, so if you had a child, if, if you were a parent and you had a child in pre-K that was really having a struggle learning how to count, Mm-hmm. or having trouble recognizing patterns or connecting numbers and number sense or counting objects. Um, so you might see two kids playing a game of dice that are the same age, and one of them really gets that there's two dots on the dice, and that means you move two spaces. Another child may not. So they might have challenges telling time or beginning to work with money. And then as they get a little bit older, remembering phone numbers or confusing um, basic facts or, you know, using their fingers, uh, their over overuse of fingers for mm-hmm. a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then even struggling with math language, uh, place value, different concepts. So those are some of the, I guess, signs or symptoms that would relate to math-based learning disabilities. Okay. Tell us about dysgraphia. Sure, that relates to um, writing. And so that's difficulty with uh, written expression. And that often can co-occur with either dyslexia or with ADHD. Um, And so dysgraphia is a learning disability that manifests often with poor spelling and also with challenges developing and writing about your ideas. So a child might uh, might receive uh, particular accommodations uh, if they have a, a need for this in the, in the written area, just as you might have uh, supports for dyslexia or dyscalculia. Why is there a correlation between ADHD and, and dysgraphia? Again, it's the... I, I, what, I was, what I'm trying to say is that any one of these learning disabilities can co-occur, mm-hmm. but it seems that with written expression, um, there's kind of reading and writing are two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes challenges with one are also seen and challenges in another. Um, and in terms of ADHD, there can be comorbidity, as I said before, with dyslexia, uh, that, uh, but it seems like a lot of the children also have challenges with written expression. Gotcha. 
Uh, and so dyslexia, this is uh, probably the most common one, correct? Reading, yeah, re generally speaking within the, the array of specific learning disabilities, challenges with reading are probably the most common. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, we've talked a little bit before, but specifically um, children with dyslexia have challenges learning their letters. They are going to have challenges learning the phonetic system, understanding how to blend and segment sounds. Um, and these challenges down the line can end up with um, affecting a child's ability to read fluently or to comprehend what they're reading. Can there be an impact on speech for students that have dyslexia? Um, I think it may be the other, the other way, way around. around. In, in that a lot of kids that are late to talk or have very severe language impairments may that that may be an early symptom of dyslexia or specific learning disabilities in the area of reading gotcha okay and uh, also note uh, for our listeners if you want sp uh, more specific information about dyslexia we did an episode a couple of weeks back about dyslexia so you might want to go back and um and check that one out um, what are some of the non-academic signs that your child may be exhibiting a learning disorder? Um, that's a good question. I, I, as I was saying, if you see that they're struggling with um, remembering things, if they're struggling to uh, learn nursery rhymes, if they're struggling to remember a song, if they're struggling when they're playing playing games in terms of uh, counting and what have you. Those are things that might show up in more of a family kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And so um, those might be some soft signs that it would be time to talk to uh, the teacher, whether it's a, a starting in preschool or once your child is in school. Sometimes you might also see children having a, a tough time making friends or maintaining friendships, having an interest in going to school. Um, I, I mentioned when you and I first met that I have a great nephew that is on the spectrum. And I know when they moved from one school district to another, they had a, he had a hard time with that transition. So challenges with transitions and um and even attendance can sometimes be uh, signs that parents might recognize or, like you said, to kind of give you a gut check that, hey, something's not right here. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I would also, um, you know, say maybe anxiety and depression yes. um, might be an issue. Um, just from watching the, the documentary, um, the kids really struggled with that sometimes because they just did you know like we said we, they didn't sound feel like they were smart or were up to par with their peers absolutely yeah. absolutely and we we you know we didn't talk about attention deficit disorder but you know sometimes as, especially as kids are reaching adolescence you know they 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 may also uh, certainly have some issues related to mental health and right now with everything that's going on with children and families sheltering in place um it's it, it, there it, I, I would want to encourage families 
to reach out uh, and and reach out for resources in terms of supporting the children's social emotional learning and their mental health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually going to ask you. Yeah, I'll oh. be able to share a couple of resources with you um, that I've been trying to gather in preparation for talking together today. Okay. Yes. Thank you. That'll be very helpful. Um, I was going to ask you, ask you that next, um, the difference between, um, executive functioning disorder and ADD. I know that those are not actual learning disabilities, but they, they fall somewhere in kind of a gray category here. What, what are those and how can they interfere with, um, so, yeah, and so a lot of times when children have uh, problems with attention um, and, and processing, they um, shift their yeah. attention or continue to pay attention. Um, they're, they're tested uh, and they might be served under what's called a 504 plan. Mm-hmm. And so they would uh, be able to be receiving um, certain types of accommodations to help them learn um, to the best of their ability and to help support their their ability to attend. They might have um, particular types of visual schedules or they might receive some technology supports uh, for attention. And what exactly is executive functioning disorder? I, I think we all have an understanding of what ADHD is. But what is executive functioning? Usually that has to do more with um, with working memory and, and um, auditory, visual, short-term, long-term memory. Okay. Um, if I am a parent or a grandparent, caregiver, that suspects that my child has a learning disability, what are the steps that I should take? Um, I... I I would talk to the school. I would begin there. It might begin as early as preschool that you see a need. Mm-hmm. Talk to teachers um, and really be an advocate. As I said, it, it might be helpful to uh, join an organization uh, such as the International Dyslexia Association or the Division for Learning Disabilities of the Council for Exceptional Children or understood.org. There are a lot of parent advocacy uh, groups that can be a a support for you as you begin to go through the process of asking the school to um, refer your child for testing. And I would say I I, um, agree wholeheartedly with you saying that um, work with other parents, talk to other parents about uh, what their journey has been like. Because when we started a, the, all, all of this, um, I actually had a gut feeling that my son uh, was on the spectrum, had autism for years. And um, he's very high functioning. So it went undiagnosed for a long time, really up until the last two years. And um, when he finally was diagnosed, uh, we had him privately do- diagnosed because um uh, and brought that brought that diagnosis to the school. And, um, you know, depending on where you go, they they have they may or may not have to do their own testing, which is what happened um, in our case. Um, but it really was very helpful to talk to other parents who had been there to know how to advocate for my child, what to bring to an ARD. Um mm-hmm. 
an art being the, the meeting where you meet with the other other uh, providers, your principal, possibly the special education teacher, teacher, and, and obviously the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The more information you can go into that meeting with because uh, is helpful um, because you're going to be with a lot of people who um, who you may or may not know. And uh, that can be intimidating. Absolutely. And Absolutely. going in there with maybe some thoughts about how to help your own child um, might be um, beneficial to you. And that's actually what I ended up doing. Um, I had a friend who's a, I have a friend who's a behavioral therapist and she mm. suggested some accommodations that could be put into place. And they were actually the ones that made the, the biggest difference in uh, my child academically. So what what were those if you'd com- if you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, sure. Um, he was having some problems behaviorally. This is my child that has autism. Um, we suggested a um, sticker chart of some sort. Um, it, the his day is laid out on a piece of paper. And each of his teachers that he goes to has to sign the smiley face or assign the uh, sad face. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if he has a certain number of smiley faces, then um, he gets to go to the principal's office and go to the treasure chest. And I'm telling you, within two weeks, we saw a 180 in our child. And this was something that I brought to the table because I had spoken to um, a friend of mine who had experience with working with kids with autism. But there's other parents who have these kind of accommodations, and they can recommend some things that might work. So talking to other parents was was a big um, help to us. Yeah, that would come under the class of positive behavior supports. And those are really important um, to help kids recognize the progress that they're making Mm -hmm. to to get immediate feedback that they're they're doing the right thing or corrective feedback if if it's needed. But I I also want to piggyback a little bit on your uh, conversation with assessment. So parents want to be sure that the assessment, that they do go into a meeting prepared with ideas of what does and doesn't work for their individual child. But you can think about preparing for that meeting uh, as kind of data gathering, right? You want to have multiple points of data about how the problems might show up in your child's day-to-day life, both at home and at school. And if you do know that there are certain things that your child really responds well to, that's helpful. You might also be asked information about your family and your family's medical history, whether there's a history of, uh, for example, dyslexia in the family. There might be uh, sometimes schools will ask parents to complete rating scales about their child's behavior or their academic adjustment or how they get along with peers. Um, you would want on in an, an assessment for there also to be some standardized measures of academic skills, including possibly reading, math, or written expression. And for younger children, especially when we're trying to rule out that kind of misdiagnosis that your son experienced, having uh, assessments of their um, understanding of the alphabet, letter sound correspondence, word reading, fluency, um, and spoken and written expression. Mm -hmm. Let me ask, I think that 
the more parents understand their rights and their children's rights um, is so important. Um, yes. You know, it's the best, the more we understand our rights, the better. So what are my rights as a parent? When I suspect that there's a problem, what rights do I have? You absolutely have the right to bring that to the attention of the school and to, to continue to request that a child um, receive an evaluation. And the school's obligation uh, is to, to conduct child find both for children who might need a 504 or for children who might need the individual education plan. And so the, you mentioned our, that's the admission review and dismissal committee. So it's, it's also sometimes appropriate for families um, to advocate that, that their children may not need a service after a certain point in time, right? Just as you found that your, your child's needs were a little bit different than what were originally misdiagnosed. Does having a learning disability qualify for special ed or is that qualify under a 504? It depends on the degree, um, mm-hmm. and so that that that's that's a really good question, uh, and it's sometimes a case by case kind of decision, um, and and it, it's hard to uh, so it's hard to put down hard and fast rules about about how that plays out for individual children. But you do have the right as a parent, and you to consent for an evaluation and a full individual initial evaluation um, can be requested at any time. Okay. And, you know, right now we're in such an unprecedented time um, where schools are not even in session. Um, Right. What if my child was receiving services prior to the school closure? What are my rights now? Okay, this is really current new sort of information. So I do want to pull up what I recently located from the Office of Special Education Programs so that I've got that in front of me. Um, the gist that I was reading today, let's see if I can get to it. I've got so many screens pulled up at the same <laughs> time. Zanita, I don't know about you. Um, I certainly don't want to misinform people, but generally speaking, when schools there, so there's all across the country have schools in different kinds of situations, right? In Texas, we've got um, schools that are are closed here in Dallas, and children are not attending school, but they're learning virtually, and that can look different in in different districts, right? Mm-hmm. There are other states where they haven't yet uh, begun e-learning and they haven't rolled that out. So everybody's shelter or some people are sheltering um, and schools are shut, but education hasn't yet started. So there's, there's different answers to that question, I think, based on where schools are in terms of getting back to educating everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that, that the, the guidance, and again, I'm still looking on my computer. Too many things open. So what you're saying is, okay, here in Dallas, we the schools are providing curriculum 
to the parents to teach at home. And then there are other places across the country and across the globe where they are not in session and not learning. So they're just kind of hanging out kind of on a mini vacation. So that's the difference. Yes. Um, And this is usually the um, guidance has guidance so far has been when children all when children's schools were closed for up to 10 days and we're we're moving beyond that at a pretty rapid race in some in some areas and looking forward to to being at home for a longer period of time right so i think schools are wrestling with um different types of supports i i have uh um, my my great nephew, for example, is receiving both speech therapy and occupational therapy via Zoom. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they're fortunate that they've got the internet at home. So there are um, some of my colleagues that are teaching at Southern Methodist University or are teaching teachers, and they're hearing some stories where there may not where families may not have access to the internet. And in that case, how are schools going to support the learning? Um, we've got some situations where uh, teachers may not have adequate internet, or it may mm. be that the the bandwidth is is taken up by so many people using the internet within the home at the same time. So I, I think that uh, to the to the greatest extent that schools can, they want to support help. And help in any way that they can. The guidance is is um, it is still a work in progress. Yes. The most recent document that I saw was dated like the twentieth of March, and I can find that and send you a link. Gotcha. We were talking yesterday about the increased amount of screen time that kids are experiencing right now because you know I've got three kids and a lot of their learning is online. In fact, most of their learning, I have other parents who, whose um, schools have given them boxes of papers and worksheets and printed out a bunch of things. And I guess it depends on, you know, the, the school district and the school, but most of our stuff is online. How does that impact kids that have learning disabilities um, to have the increased amount of screen time? I think it can be challenging for parents to, to manage that and balance that. I, I, um, I, I don't know that there's specific guidance for um, the amount of screen time. I think parents generally um, have their own kind of rules. I'm sure you did and, um, have <laughs> rules for your child. But when everything moves to online learning, uh, one method might be to kind of chunk it out a little bit differently. Mm. Um, if it's not a synchronous learning where the child needs to be in a meeting, let's say, for example, with the teacher at the same time, if it's asynchronous, then you might be able to chunk out um, chunk out the, the, the learning into specific periods of time so that it's a certain amount of time and then off and have a chance to do something a little bit different and then hop back on again. So to, to chunk, break it into smaller pieces. Gotcha. Okay. That's helpful. Cause boy, are we, <laughs> I feel like that's a, 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 every 30 minute question. Can I use the computer? Can I get on the tablet? And- yeah. And, and thinking about, um, you know, 
what kinds of apps that that your child is is using. I know that schools are struggling, uh, not, not just schools, but there, there's just a challenge with with technology. So technology can be a support, um, but we're we just as we kind of experienced the challenge at the beginning of getting our conversation going today, sometimes we can hit glitches. <laughs> right. Uh, one thing I would recommend, though, is often as you can print stuff out because uh, there's one of my children's teachers said, well, she can either, you know, fill this in online or, you know, she can, you know, print it out and take a picture. I'm going to opt out opt for her to um, to print it out and take a picture of it and send it to them just so that we can just do every little thing that we can to reduce screen time as much as possible. Yeah. And speaking of that, if I could share a couple of resources too, at, at our institution, at um, the College of Education at Southern Methodist University, we have links there for parents about how to reassure your children about, about the virus or about being at home. We're ongoing posting links there. Um, there um, at the texasldcenter.org, there are a lot of materials about um, uh, about uh, identification for learning disabilities. There's also a center on online learning at Kansas, and I'll send you some links to those. In terms of printing things out, the, the Florida Center for Reading Research has a whole series of activities for uh, children that you can print out at home that are free. Mm. And a, a colleague and I have um, written a reading curriculum that's called Friends on the Block. And we're making a lot of the ebooks and games free for parents to be able to download either onto a tablet or to, to, to print out and the games. Uh, there are also videos that show you how to play the games with your children. Okay, that's good. That's helpful. And again, as always, we'll have all of our, um, all the resources that we mentioned here on schooldazedshow.com. Mm -hmm. So you can go back and reference those. I want to ask you, um, who can assess for learning disabilities? I know we, we mentioned the school and who else is qualified to assess for learning disabilities and give an official diagnosis? So that can also vary, believe it or not, from state to state. So within Texas, we generally have someone that's a diagnostician that does the evaluation that can happen in the school or privately. Um, in, in other places, um, uh, a special education teacher is, is able to do diagnostic testing. So it really does vary from place to place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or from state to state. Okay. Are there times when it's better to have an independent practitioner assess versus the school? I, I think if you're receiving, if you're not satisfied with what, what's happening and you have the resources to hire that privately and bring the test results to the school, that, that can certainly be a support. I also wanted to share if we, if we had enough time to you know that something that parents can be doing right now too in terms of just when you're reading to your children there's a specific um, strategy that's got a lot of evidence behind it uh, to continue to build kids vocabulary and comprehension it's called dialogic reading because you're kind of having a dialogue with your child uh, and so it's appropriate for kids that are sort of ages 
three through maybe even second grade. Um, and so you would start by asking your child some very simple kinds of questions about the book, but rather than focusing on just reading the words, you're really asking them about what's happening in the story. So right now, parents might enjoy using some books that relate to persistence or the idea that your brain can grow or, or sticking with it or persisting or stories that are um, culturally appropriate for, for their own particular family or culture. And uh, starting with sort of some simple recall questions or open-ended questions, and then beginning to include some uh, opportunities for the child to actually put themselves in the shoes of the character or think about when they might have experienced something like this at home or else in school. And so the, the parent can really, um, really uh, build the child's vocabulary and extend their ability to comprehend. Mm. So, so that's an immediate step right now that um, parents can be doing, especially with young children, to help um, to help them and to, to get a break from the screen time to go to a real book. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm telling you, this this has been our fallback very often when I'm overwhelmed. All the information we're receiving from the schools, God love them. They are giving us a lot of <laughs> information. I'm getting multiple emails a day, and then I'm supposed to check probably between all my kids seven different apps. And sometimes I just cry uncle and say, let's read. <laughs> Let's just read a book. Yeah, or, or let's play a board game. Let's, mm -hmm. let's play Scrabble. Let's play Monopoly. Let's, mm -hmm. let's bake a cake. You know, there's there's science in, in the kitchen as well, right? Or mm -hmm. if you're fortunate and you can get, have a, a backyard or a patio and you can get out and get your hands dirty. Or if you can bring bring out the, the crayons and the markers. Or if you've got Play-Doh. Uh, being able to uh, be artistic or use your musical skills. Um, I think right now it's important for parents to support one another and to give themselves a, a chance just to take a breath, right? This mm -hmm. has all been coming at us so quickly. Yes. And it it's has. really unprecedented. Unprecedented. It is unprecedented. And we need to just offer ourselves and offer one another and offer the teachers and the administrators some grace because yes. we've never done this before and yep. we are doing the best that we can and Absolutely. so I love that you said just breathe just breathe yeah. and you know realize that we're all going to be okay eventually and that you know whatever needs to happen to get our kids to where they need to be whether that's a changing of state standards or teaching in the summer or whatever it is that um that will need to be done so our kids will get to where they need to get they will it will be done and you know schools have shown how they are doing an incredible job of pivoting um and figuring it out um last minute so we just need to, to just kind of take a deep breath and realize yeah. it is going to be okay. We don't know how it's going to be okay, but it will. <laughs> but we're doing the, the best that we can just as we are right now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, just a couple of more questions because we are running out of time here. But I okay. want to know um, what needs to be done to secure services in college? Oh, that's a really good question. I had a, uh, the opportunity a couple of months ago, actually, to uh, talk with some colleagues um, 
to new professors at SMU. And so uh, we, I was able to look at recently some information. And I think it's important for parents to know that a lot of times ch their children ha that have had services, um, even if they're accommodations or modifications in high school, that when children go to, to college, it's up to them to advocate for themselves. And there's actually a fairly low disclosure rate. Um, only 24% of students with specific learning disabilities had informed their college, mm. um, even, even that they had it. Um, and 69% uh, who did not inform their college um, were, were afraid, right? They, they didn't want to, to share that information. So I think we can really help our children begin to advocate for themselves and understand that they'll need to provide their professors with a letter and information about what kinds of accommodations work for them. And uh, we put together a series of uh, suggestions for technology as kind of a universal support within the classroom. Um, so things like Grammarly or spell check or text-to-speech kinds of technologies that a lot of us use already can be particularly important um, for, for students. So some of the text-to-speech tools might be Bookshare or Speechify or TextHelp. So there's a lot of resources that can be available because the amount of reading, the sheer volume of reading and the pace is so different um, unless you've been used to really high-level AP classes in, in high school when you get to college. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Stephanie, I mean, I know that this mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, on a kid by a student-by-student student basis, but what, what do you think some of the, um, the concern about being transparent about their learning disabilities um, to their college professors, the, what's the concern coming from? I, I think when you were talking about kind of the anxiety that, that children might have, or they might think, hey, I've, I'm, I'm successful. I've, I've gotten here to college, right? I, I may not need these accommodations anymore. Or what will my new classmates, my new peer group think about me if they see that I'm getting something that they're not? So I, I think that um, it's important for parents to reinforce all through the developmental um, chain that it's that the accommodations and modifications are something that help them learn that and and that it's appropriate to to ask for them and it's appropriate to use them and um, it's better to ask up front than to wait till you um, are falling behind yeah absolutely yeah so to be proactive I guess is my point mm-hmm mm-hmm are there any other resources that you wanted to share with us offhand um, or are you going to give those to me offline so I can I put them online? I think, I'll, I think I'll try to give those to you offline so that you can put them, um, put the, put them online. Um, I think that would probably be the, the better way to go than trying to. Rattle off a list. So <laughs> have, yeah. Uh, but, but again, we'll talk about a, a bucket of resources that relate to parent advocacy groups, we can, we'll have a, a bucket of resources that might be places where you can download teaching tools for kids, uh, to teaching materials to work with your children. Um, and I'll have a couple of other resources um, to be able to share that are specific 
to supporting students with autism and also supporting students with some math difficulties as well as the reading. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I do want to mention, um, I love the website understood.org. There yeah. Are, yeah, there are so many resources on there for kids that have all sorts of um, challenges, um, speaking straight to the parents about what they can Absolutely. do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They're one of my go-tos. Yes, that's a wonderful website. And also the the trailer that I played at the beginning of the episode of um, I Can't Do This, But I Can Do That, that's streaming on HBO Prime, and you can read it on YouTube as well. So if you want to watch that, that's a really heartwarming um, account of kids that are uh, struggling with learning disabilities. I'll have to check that out. My, my own father had dyslexia, so oh. uh, I, I, I had the honor of having a role model of somebody that was successful uh, and uh, still had some challenges. Oh, wonderful. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for, for being with us and sharing this very valuable information with our parents. Thanks for having me and hang in there, everybody. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Be I'm kind so to each other. Yes. Be kind to one another. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, we do always want to mention what's going on with um, Noggin Educational Foundation. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. Our mission is to help close the achievement gap for economically disadvantaged children by improving educational opportunities for students, supporting families, and encouraging excellence and innovation in the classroom. School Days is part of our commitment to support families by providing access to experts, who offer information and resources regarding all topics that impact education. And if you love this program, please consider donating to Noggin. Your gift will be tax deductible. Head to our website, schooldaysshow.com to give today. And as always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com for more information about all that we're doing and all the resources that we mention here on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin the Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but certainly not least, we like to end the show every week by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, feel free to email me at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.